0: Well good morning, great to see you guys this morning, go ahead and open your Bible up to Acts chapter 20, you are here this morning on a very Precious, unique, I'm not quite sure the, the word historic, uh, morning. So if you're a first-time visitor, you haven't been here in a while, or just uh, every once in a while checking in with us, uh, you might not be aware that this morning, not only are we gonna, we're going to share from the word in regard to the topic of eldership in a local church, but we're actually going to be ordaining and installing... Uh, young man who's been in our midst for many many years matter of fact his parents were here before he was here and he's been with us since his first day of attending church it has been in this church and he has been a part of every phase of church life from beginning to this day and that would be Evan May and so you are with us at a unique setting. Uh, we don't do this uh, a great deal because we don't believe lots of folks are called to serve as elders in the local church, but but when God raises up those who are, right, it's a special event for us. So uh, thank you for being here today and thanks for... Uh, walking with us as we celebrate and, and put in place someone who's going to be a great blessing to us for many, many years to come. And we'll get to that at the end. But I want to just try and answer a couple of questions today for us. And some of, these, some of you guys who were at our, our family business meeting a few months ago uh, had some questions about elders and eldership and how that process uh, operates. And I promised you then that we would be addressing that when we were installing Evan as an elder. And so that's what I'm going to do that today. I'm going to answer some of those questions. But here's primarily what I want to answer. What is an elder? And that's not enough for us, quite honestly. Um, Why does that matter? Why does this subject matter to us? Because quite honestly, this subject can feel a little distant from everyday life and the things that are pressing on you and things that really, really matter to you. Why does this subject even matter what an elder is? And then our second question is going to be, who is Evan May? And why does he matter to you in the future? And so as we get to the end, we'll answer that question. But start with me in Acts chapter 20, looking in verse 17. If you have a Bible or an app, this, this passage will also be in your notes in just a moment. says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, he referring to the Apostle Paul. And he called the elders of the church to come to him. I'm going to skip down in verse 28 of that chapter. This is what he told them when he called them to himself. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert! Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Well this is we'll get back to that passage later in the message This passage kind of captures your attention if you let it sit in its setting. This is the Apostle Paul. He's he's on a critical mission to get back to Jerusalem at this point. And gathering in Jerusalem is for one of the festivals that brings the Jewish nation all together a few times a year. So he's going to get this unique access. There's a time constraint that he needs to be in Jerusalem at a particular moment. This is the festival of Pentecost, and it's important that he get there on time. And this is not like travel today. He's traveling by sea. He's traveling across the northern part of the Mediterranean. Storms arise, problems happen, and you just don't arrive on time. But he stops on his journey, and he ports the ship about 20 miles away from the city of Ephesus, and he calls for the elders in the church Of Ephesus. And the mere fact that he's going to do that and the things that he says to these elders draw particular attention to the importance of who they are in Ephesus and the role that they're going to play. So here's what I want to do before I jump us into explaining elders. I put a little historic context map there in your outline that starts back in Matthew chapter 28. It starts back in the day when Jesus spoke about this Great Commission. And you find lots of Christians know about the Great Commission. That's a favorite verse. It should be, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we know that if you're going to try and define yourself as who are you and what are you about as a Christian. If the Great Commission doesn't define something about your existence. For the sake of shock value, let me just ponder this thought with you are you really even a christian because to be a christian is to be a christ follower something's happened to you but now the course of your life is directed by the son of god and if the son of god is the one giving directions to you that command at the end of his uh, his earthly life of go into all the world and make disciples preaching the gospel that mandate sits on every one of us it, it defines an aspect of your life so if that doesn't pop up on the way in which you're doing life then you have to ask yourself a question what version of christianity have i tuned into and what kind of a christian really am i but matthew 28 start something in motion right? so here's the series of events in that little map there go into all the world and make disciples so there's the operative call for christians But before you do that, wait in Jerusalem to receive this unique power by the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Holy Spirit is going to show up in a powerful and unique way that empowers the mission of God. So they're to wait there in Jerusalem. By the time you get to the end of chapter 2, there is this outbreak God has poured out his spirits in Jerusalem and all kinds of people have come to know Christ. And they have formed a church in Jerusalem. And this church is characterized by the end of that chapter you find out that they are devoting themselves. In Acts chapter 2 verse uh, 42. To the apostles doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And so if you were looking for a script for churches. Some people try to figure out what's a church supposed to be. If you're not doing those things you're out of bounds. You might do all kinds of other stuff. But those are critical. So there's a church in Jerusalem. If you follow this story, there's going to begin to be a leadership structure in Jerusalem. There are apostles that are there. At some point, they're going to have to divide up the responsibilities of how to care for these people. In Acts chapter 6, they begin to do that. So immediately, right, what are we we doing in Acts 2 and in Acts 6? Well, we're doing Matthew 28. We're fulfilling the Great Commission. And then, so out of this church in jerusalem god's about to allow persecution to kind of squirt them out of jerusalem all over the place and they're going to land a clump of them are going to land in a place called antioch and they're going to form a church there in antioch and there's going to be leaders there in antioch and we'll visit with them in just a moment and they're going to send out leaders to plant more churches and they're going to go on this journey and they're going to plant churches in one city after another, and Paul and Barnabas are going to lead that venture. And then they're going to get into those cities, and when they establish churches there and remember, remember don't, don't lose track where we start this whole thing, in Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. This is how you do the Great Commission. You plant churches. But in those churches, essential to those churches, in the heart of the strategy of the church, are elders. As a matter of fact, in a, in a time in which there would be no buildings that you would recognize, you didn't drive down a dusty road and see Lakeview Christian Center. Oh, that's, oh I know somebody who goes to church there. That, the church you're a part of in the first century, it could be meeting here this week or this month, and then over here, this week or this month, and then splitting up, meeting in two and three different places the next few weeks. Could be all over the place. How did you know what church you were a part of? By the elders who were leading you. That's how you knew which church you were a part of. By the shepherds that God had put in your midst. So this is God's divine strategy. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 20... Right, the reason why Paul can summon the elders from Ephesus is because this is the way in which the Great Commission has been operating. All right, so here's my essential ingredients to the Great Commission. And I find lots of Christians, again, they're cool with being Christians, and they're cool with this thing called the gospel that they know other people need to know about. And Some people are pretty good about even telling others about it. But here are the essential pieces to the Great Commission. The gospel A clear message of who God is and what he has done to reconcile man to himself. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and local churches with elders are three essentials to the Great Commission. Now that last one, and even the second one quite honestly, lots of people will overlook. But the last one in particular, but not Paul. Paul. And not the New Testament, right? Acts chapter 14, verse 23 on this first missionary journey. says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the end of that journey. They went back through the churches where they have established a testimony. and People have gotten saved. There's a local church there. And a key order of business for that church now is that they would have elders, appointed elders in that location. Titus chapter 1, some 15 years or so later, says, this is why, Paul says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So if if I just pick the New Testament up and I don't infect my mind with 21st century ways of doing things, and I said... How do you do the Great Commission, Keith? Well, you know, I read in the Bible. And the essential ingredients would be clear gospel message, power of the Holy Spirit, local churches led by elders. Those are the key ingredients for the Great Commission. And listen, I'm not saying that because uh, I, I just need to stall for time here. I'm saying that because you live in an age where those ingredients are not treated like they're key essential ingredients. Christians today, it's, you know, Christians today is, it's not a team sport anymore. You don't need to be a part of a team. You just need to have your own conversion experience in your own Bible. And you just read that and maybe tune into the selected podcast that you'd like to listen to. Read the particular blogs, go buy a devotional book and you follow Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, man. As a matter of fact, I say it in such a way that it's just me and Jesus. That makes me install the idea that, you know, you people who hang around each other, do all this formal religion church stuff. Right? That's what it comes off like. like. Like, this is a bad idea. Well, you know what's a good idea? Me and Jesus. Me and Jesus, man. I just, just give me Jesus, man. Just me and Jesus. And that's presented like it's heroic. It's not heroic. It's catastrophic. It's an idea that you don't find on the pages of Scripture. This Great Commission is Great. And it matters. And all of us know it matters. And, and we're here today because the Great Commission came to us. And aren't you glad it did? Now today there's, there's para-church ministries. There's all kinds of ways that you can get your Christian input into your life. But you've got to answer this question this morning. Who are the elders in Christ? Your life. And when I describe them today. You need to answer. Do they function in your life. The way this makes them sound. All right, let, me, let me pop a bubble right away. An elder is not somebody. Who is simply an older Christian than you. An elder is not somebody. Who led you to Christ. Might be. But an elder is a specific set of people who are playing a specific role. It's just not a mature Christian that you have a lot of respect for. You should have lots of those in your life, but they're not elders. When Paul gets to Miletus, he calls for a particular group of people in Ephesus because they're identifiable, they're knowable, they're strategic. They're not just, hey, uh, just send me some people from Ephesus. Send me the spiritual ones. Send send me the ones who just are a little more mature than the others. Hey, there ought to be all that in the body of Christ. But elders are identifiable. And they're to be in our lives, affecting our lives in a particular way. So today what we do today is not only do we highlight what an elder is and we install an elder in this church. But what we do as a church is we make a decision about whether we will receive that elder into our lives. Because you could be sitting here today saying, I I don't even know if elders really function in my life or not. And you can't afford that. Not for the sake of the mission, not for the sake of your own soul. All right, what is an elder? Quick definition from a couple of guys who know. John Piper says they are the doctrinal guardians of the flock and the overseers of the life of the church, responsible to God for the feeding and care and ministry of people. Alexander Strauch wrote a bit of a milestone book, Biblical Eldership. In it, he says elders lead the church. And there's a lot of scripture passages here I'd encourage you to go back and and look at that I'm giving you today. They lead the church. They teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers. They exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine. They visit the sick and pray. And they judge doctrinal issues. In biblical terminology, elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. Right? That's a multifaceted role, isn't it? All those dimensions are, are being highlighted. And what you see by these two definitions and what you'll see in scripture today is there's a multifacetedness to the role that elders play. And it needs to be looked at at a couple of different levels. So I'm going to introduce two sets of threes to you, right? Here's my first set of three is this. I think these are the essential three elements. And I'm going to tail off on this third one in just a second. First, elders are called by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's essential ingredient to an elder. Elders are qualified according to scripture. Essential and elders are gifted and enabled by God to serve in this capacity. All right, so those are three essentials. And that last one I'm going to take apart in three words in the New Testament. And that's how we'll get a good idea of what eldership is. But let's just visit this for a second. An elder is called by the Holy Spirit. Right? And instantly into your mind should come some questions along with some mystery. What exactly does that look like? Somebody, Do you, you get a phone call? you get a text? You get something in the mail, smoke signals, what? How does the Holy Spirit make this known? Well, that's a good question. And it's a question the Bible doesn't really answer very carefully. It gives us some ideas that the Holy Spirit's behind this, but doesn't go into a huge amount of details, right? What Paul mentioned, as he said to these elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 28, he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he recognizes, here's a group of men. At some point, they were just men that were in the church, just like anybody else in the church. And today, now they're elders. Now they're recognized uniquely and differently. And when he stares at them, he says, the Holy Spirit did that. However you landed in this little group of people, that was the Holy Spirit's doing. And that's what God said he would do with this church, right? You go back into Jeremiah chapter 23, a a day in which shepherds were failing in their calling. Shepherds, those God had had installed to care for and lead his flock. And God says there was coming a day where he would do this. He says, verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven, right? This is God saying, I'm going to do these things. Can anybody explain how it was that God gathered them? Right? There's some mystery there. These smoke signals. He sent a bus. How, how did he gather them? And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. All right, So we get a glimpse of this. Here's a little bit of a behind-the-scenes play-by-play. Acts chapter 13. This is the, the next church Revealed to us in the New Testament. You have Jerusalem and you get Antioch. And this is the setting of Antioch. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, and Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right, what exactly happened right there? Writing on the wall? A audible voice. Does anybody really know? There's a prayer gathering. These godly men have come together and they're praying and they're seeking God and they're fasting. And they emerge from that setting with something that gets explained to us biblically and to those that they're going to send. Is the Holy Spirit has said to us, set apart of all these people, those two right there. Not three of them, not four of them, not that, just one. And not somebody from outside the group. Those two right there set those two apart for the work to which I've called them. Somehow, God communicates what he wants done by the Holy Spirit to his people and for generations right no one I've never heard a theologian question this I've never heard anybody question whether Saul and Barnabas were the right two guys to send on that first journey but how do we know that was really the Holy Spirit right were you in the meeting how did that even sound to them did they walk away with an impression did somebody kind of say yeah yeah I kind of think that's the Holy Spirit too and right this stuff turns human at some point and we interact with God And God accomplishes this. So when we get to Acts chapter 14 verse 23. Where it says that they had gone out. And now they are going to appoint elders in every city where they had ministered. Somehow the Holy Spirit is leading that process. And Paul and Barnabas are going to install elders. That ultimately the Holy Spirit is responsible for that installation taking place. Right, So they are called by the Holy Spirit. And let, me, let me tell you what this bumps into in modern America. Right? In the first century setting, no, you don't have any problems here. Right? Because no one in the first century is taught democracy. They don't have this knee-jerk response to the idea that the Holy Spirit just showed up and said, hey, I'm not taking a vote. I'm not asking for who's popular. I'll just say those two right there. And then somebody shows up in town and they know some people and they get some interaction and then, the, and then they appoint elders. No one's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Shouldn't we vote on this? Because they weren't Americans. They were used to not voting on things. <laughs> they were under Roman rule, right? You didn't get to choose who'd be Caesar next. But you and I are Americans, And as deeply as we read our Bibles, we are perhaps even more deeply Americans. So when we come to stuff like this, something in us says, whoa, wait a minute. Nobody asked me. Are we going to vote on this? like you know like voting is the catch-all end-all save-all how many guys have recognized you live long enough in a democracy to see sometimes voting doesn't turn out real well (laughs) just curious but we know that's in us as though hey that's that's what protects us voting protects us hey listen this is God's people this is God's business so before you and I put our hands on it and say wait a minute this is my church (laughs) this is God's church And if he has chosen for the Holy Spirit to communicate leadership into the church as he leads, then I want to see that and I want to go with it and I want to appreciate it for what it is. You know, what's interesting what happens is these appointments take place years later, a good bit of years later. You start getting a teaching in the New Testament on the qualifications of leaders. So the second dimension was not only does the Holy Spirit need to say that's the person, but that person's life needs to be examined to see, does this person walk in cooperation with the Spirit in such a way that they're qualified to be able to lead and care for God's people? And so Titus and Timothy install qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Paul told Timothy, he said, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer... He desires a noble task, right? Let me just grab that word here, right? This is, this is part of our meditation on scripture, right? Notice stuff when you read it. This is an office of overseer, right? Nobody comes to uh, uh, the city of New Orleans and goes, um, who's mayor today? You know, everybody's mayor in their own way, aren't they? Come on, we all own the city. We're all mayors in our own way. Everybody's an elder in the church in some way. Okay, that's very confusing. If you're that kind of person, you're very confused. Because the Bible comes right out and says this is an office of an overseer, like the office of president, the office of mayor. Right? You know there's a specific and someone is set into that office. It's got prescriptions. So it's not this vague All the mature people in the body of Christ somehow played this role in all kinds of ways. That's not how the Bible speaks about this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. All right, so this person called by God is to be qualified for this calling. There's a role that, that demands certain character, certain transformation to have taken place by the Holy Spirit at work in a person's life. And Titus is another passage you can go and look at there. But the third element is a matter of the way in which he's going to serve. All right, so this is a calling unto something. It's, it's not a calling of, of generality. It's like, hey, who knows what you'll do as an elder. So, you know, are you, a, are you a godly person? You fit some of Titus and Timothy there? You're a pretty godly guy. This is not, you know, what I just read to you, 1 Timothy chapter 3, ought to describe all kinds of men in this room right now. It's not as though, oh, once you get that, check it up. Now you're an elder. Look at that. You, you, you meet all these requirements. You've got this kind of background. If the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, you should look like 1 Timothy chapter 3 as a Christian man. That doesn't mean you're called to be an elder. Because an elder is going to serve in a particular way, as we'll see in just a moment. And an elder is going to need to be enabled to serve by God in particular ways, as we'll see in just a moment. But Let me me install a reality here, as I said a little bit earlier. This stuff is very subjective, isn't it? I just read through a list of qualifications. I you go, we, we don't all have the same opinion about what it means to be respectable. Right? Isn't that a sub, bit of a subjective call? I think I think the object of defining that is to biblically first define it. What a Bible call respectable? But we might have. A variety among us of views in that category. We could have a variety of views on whether or not somebody has the tools to be able to do this task. Do they have the gifting to do it? Has God enabled this person to play this role? Well, you might have two people stare at the same person and go, "Uh, I don't think so. And one go, oh, absolutely, yeah. Right. So, And I love the fact that the Bible is real about this. You and I walk with God by faith. And the biggest element for me in faith is the human involvement part. It's not the God part. (laughs) I think God does his part pretty darn well. It's the human involvement part that's really, really messy and really tricky. right, now you guys remember, the Bible's great to preserve this story for us. There comes a day, this first missionary journey goes out, all kinds of things get accomplished, they come back in. Now they're going to go out on the second missionary journey. And they're going to put a team together. They put a team together the first time. And we trust they put a team together under the Holy Spirit's leadership. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for us these guys and send them. And they took a guy with them the first time named John Mark. Now it's time for the second trip. And the same players who are involved are going to seek God. They're going to pray. I trust they are. They're going to want to be led by the Holy Spirit. They're going to want to identify those who God is gifted and called and qualified for them to participate in such a mission. And you're going to have a very godly man named Paul and a very godly man named Barnabas are going to stare at the same individual named John Mark. And you guys know the outcome of this story. The Apostle Paul is going to look at this man's life and he's going to say one of two things. The guy can't do what we need him to do. Or he's not qualified. That's what he's saying. He can't come. Barnabas, he's not coming with us. He's not qualified to do this. Or he doesn't have what it takes to do this. That's the analysis of Paul. Now Barnabas, on the other hand, stares at the same guy and says, he needs to come with us. I think he is. And these two godly men Get into what the Bible describes as a sharp disagreement over this issue. So sharp that their partnership is over. Barnabas and Paul will not go on this journey together. One will go in one direction to serve God's purpose and the other will go in another direction and he will take John Mark with him. So can, can you can you install this? I mean, if you think today you've come to a church, and listen, I know we're very deliberate in what we do. We... we We are careful in what we do we seek to be very biblically bound and can explain what we're doing biblically but if you think you've come to a church where there's no bumps there there's no cracks there's no differences and disputes and everything turns out right then you're not in a biblical church (laughs) a biblical church has paul and barnabas moments and john mark moments in it it does And so if you ever hear, right, this is not for us today because uh, this was very easy for us to all agree on very strongly that this dude's called to do this. Um, But there can be moments where you may bump into where the elders don't agree on something. Yeah. (laughs) I hope you're not surprised by that. It just means all of our brainwaves are actually working. We will disagree on things. And that's part of God's plan. These are subjective elements that we do the best we can to be led by the Holy Spirit in them. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still true. Overseers set apart by the Holy Spirit. Somehow God is the one who's in charge of working those things out. But they've got to function in a particular way. So let me just take a moment to unpack some thoughts here about what does an elder need to do? What is his task what is he called to and how does he serve and affect the church? Right, so that enablement, that last little of those threes is, is going to have three coming off of it now. And those three elements are going to be described by three interchangeable words in the New Testament. And, and depending on what your tradition is and what you've come from, you, you may not have noticed, although I would encourage you to go back and read the New Testament carefully, you may not have noticed that these words are interchangeable. So they are describing three dimensions of the same office. Right, so here's these three words. Uh, it is the word for elder that we'll look at. The Greek word, the original language of the New Testament is Greek. It is presbyteros, and that word means something. We want to look at it carefully. It is the word overseer from which we get in the Greek episkopos. We get episcopalian. you get the word bishops that come from that terminology, and then the word for shepherd or pastor is the Greek word poimen. So those three words describe the same office and therefore show us what is the role of an elder in the local church and therefore in each of our lives, right? So let's walk through what those mean real quickly. That first word presbyteros, the term elder, it really comes from the word for elderly, It means an old man, an ambassador, older, aged, an elder, a senior. In the Jewish and Christian usage, a title of dignity. An elder meaning persons of ripe age and experience who were called to take part in the management of public affairs. Right. So typically in that day, you were going to maybe drive into a city, come in through the main gate of the city. You, You would see a group of older men, typically on a given day, sitting in the gate of the city. And those older men were the elders of that city. And they were given to discuss the matters of life that influenced this gathering of people that lived inside this city and talk through policies and issues and how to care for people. Right? You find that terminology in the Old Testament. God's Old Testament people lived tribally. So the 12 tribes of Israel. And within those tribes, there were divisions of groupings of people. And within those divisions were people who were recognized as the elders. And so if issues came up in day-to-day life, you were going to bring that to the elders. You were going to seek out some people who who were kind of gray-haired, had lived more life than you had, had gained experience, and had dealt with situations. They would be where you'd go find wisdom. I'm just, I'm pausing because I'm thinking, boy, that's not how we pursue wisdom today, is it? I mean, I, I, seriously, it's a, it's a massive problem in our culture. We would much rather talk to those in our own group than those older than us. Because those older people, they, they don't speak our language the right way. You know, they definitely won't text you back because they don't know really how to operate their phones. Uh, so... <clears throat> Snapchat, they have no idea what that is. I think that's a quick picture. Um, we, don't, we don't appropriate information from those in this category because we have, we have been taught that the best source of information for us is the people who are right alongside of us traveling through the same experiences. But that was not how the Old Testament was. That was not how this tribal culture was. Uh, it's, it's not how things are in the East in many ways. You'll find there are cultures who grant a, a sense of respect to those who have traveled more miles. You, you've been around that turn and I haven't. You've experienced something of life that I don't know anything about yet. And so if I'm bumping into something, I might want to go to you and get some help. Right When the Bible in the Old Testament speaks of wisdom and often proverbs you'll find it sets it against the backdrop of the naive right these are people that are simple that that word sometimes is translated simple right because at some point you're you're gathering data about life you know you're seven years old and you gather a few data points and you know Candy for dinner makes sense. It just does. At least it does in, in my family. Um, you get a little older, you gather a couple of more data points. But, you know, you can get to 20 years old and life is pretty simple. Because all you've managed to pick up is, you know, four ideas that seem to mean anything. So it's four ideas. That's all it is. And so you approach life and you try to make your decisions and you got four ideas at work. And it just all looks so simple. Why don't we just do this? It's four ideas. And the guy who's 40 or 50 looks at you with your four ideas and wonders, what is your problem uh, there's 40 ideas that are related to what you're thinking about right now and then you know this is probably part of the reason why you don't want to go to those older people they just complicate things don't they you're thinking this and they add on top of it four, five, six, eight, ten more things and you're like oh geez forget about that now it's too hard well there's there's more to life And that is gained through experience and through interacting with life. And and in a lot of ways, it's hard to shortcut that. There's a quality here. This is not just saying that elders have gray hair or elders have X number of miles on them. It's the quality that's being looked for. It's the life experience wisdom quality that's being looked for. So you're not just looking for an age group to trip this. You're looking for qualities that God has instilled in this person that often takes time to get. Let me me just say it this way because I think this is very important. I think I wrote it in your outline. Age alone does not produce this dimension of an elder. He also needs study, thinking, thinking self-examination and an ability to critique with insight and objectivity. We can become older without learning what we need to learn, without discarding things we needed to discard, without understanding ourselves and without having an adequate understanding of God and sound theology. So, This is an interesting element because you can travel through life and, and, you know, if you're older, you know this. And you've traveled with people who haven't learned anything in their travels. And one of the biggest things that's a problem for a guy to serve as an elder is you haven't learned yourself. One of the biggest problems with anybody serving as an elder Because if you haven't learned yourself, you don't know what motivates you. You don't know what kind of issues are inside of you that you've got hypersensitivities to or hyperaggression toward. You've got stuff operating inside of you, but you don't know you. And you may be one of those people, and people go through life this way, kind of like, I don't know me, and I don't want you to help me know me. I just would like to have a cool, nice opinion about me and just leave it at that. I think I do this well, and I think I do that well, and I think people are this, and people think I'm this. And, and you know, if you don't bump into you sufficiently, and the only way to bump into you is Acts chapter 2, verse 42, apostles' doctrine, fellowship, real communion, and prayer. If you don't have those elements in your life, I, I can almost promise you, you don't really know you. You need to have an understanding of who God is, how he operates, how he sees humanity. And you get that from sound apostolic teaching and theology. So a person who gets older without interacting with that, he will not be an elder in this sense of the word. He'll just be gray-haired and older. A person who doesn't stare out at life... And watch how people interact with it. And notice what makes people trip and stumble and fall. And the nature of humanity that has a problem living for the glory of God. And what is it inside of humanity that's at war with that? A person who never asks those questions and never seeks to understand that does not have the quality that this word is describing. And there is a dimension to this that it takes time To acquire the perspective that lets you look at things in a wise, elderly way. So this would be an interesting thing for you to be interacting with as I'm saying all that to you. Because we're about to put a guy on our eldership who's 27 years old. And I'll just be quite honest with you up front. It's a rare thing for me because I think that word in this formula of eldership means something. I think there's a dimension to elderly elements that should mean something. And so I cling to that. So it's a rare day that you're going to find me as a member of this eldership team. The other guys can speak for themselves. But it's a rare day for me that you're going to ever see me say, hey, I'm I'm cool with a guy in his late 20s serving as an elder. And there's lots of guys in their late 20s who got all kinds of game, all kinds of abilities, all kinds of strengths but it's just really really hard to get this dimension in you because it it typically takes living life and doing life and putting life on and scraping your elbows and having your own experiences for you to be shaped by these elements yourself and you guys who are older you know this right you had ideals when you were 20 and then 30 you made adjustments and 40 you made adjustments and 50 you saw some things differently it just takes time to gain that sort of perspective. What I find rather unusual for Evan is the amount of wise life experience God has enabled him to have. And, and I would not be for having him be an elder if I didn't see this in him. Quite honestly, I, I, I see it in him at levels that I don't see it in even some older people who have lived more of life. But there's ingredients to making this work, right? You heard some of those ingredients? You you have to have some pretty decent theology operating in you. You have to have some pretty decent, well-informed understandings of humanity operating in you. You've got to be able to see yourself through a particular lens. When you ball all that together and then you gaze out at life, there are some people who don't have those ingredients. And by God's grace, God has given this man an accelerated ability to understand and see and hear these things and so when he and I have conversations I hear that stuff I hear that perspective I hear that in our meetings when we're together as, as leadership team in different settings uh, that's why I can easily stand today and commend him because that element though he is a young man in this category he's walking around with a cane he just is <laughs> let's look at these other two words Episkopos is a word in the Greek that describes an overseer, right? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is a very interesting word. It comes from two elements in the Greek, the word epi and skopos, which means upon and watchman. So this is a person who is watching over. It's used in the common vernacular of the day as a superintendent, an overseer, the overseer of public works, of cities, a prefect. In Athens, the Episcopoi were magistrates sent to outlying cities to organize and govern them. In the New Testament, it's used of officers in the local churches, overseers, and superintendents. The Episcopoi are charged with exercising watchful care over God's church. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, an elder, that term presbyteros, denotes the dignity of the office. Right, it's to be a respected, gray-haired, dignity kind of a person in our setting. And episkopos, that word, bishop or overseer, denotes its authority and duties. And so it's very helpful that God used these interchangeable words. Because there is a, is a dimension to this office carries with it the weight of authority in the church. Which could uh, be a whole message in itself. But let me just drop this down for a second. Because we're a church that does all kinds of things together. We have small groups and we interact with one another. We have classes and kids ministries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just to clarify for you, there's only one role in the church that carries any authority. And it's an elder. Nobody else has authority in the local church. Many people are serving. Many people are leading things. So as it comes to authority in the church, God installed that in one place, in the eldership of the church. So this is a unique role in the church because it has the power to make decisions to govern spiritual things that touch your life and touch the function of the fellowship. And that's how God ordained it. So there is this authority and there's these duties, but this word this word ventures into a category here, this overseeing and Superintending, it it ventures into this role being a a bit of a managerial role, an organizational role. There are things to be managed in the local church. There's an organism here, it's got moving pieces and parts that the leaders need to be able to pay attention to that at some level. And God needs to have given them some abilities to do that. And that's what this word contains in it. A couple of quick things. If there's anything that is primary, it's hard to say this because there's a number of things that are very important. If there's anything that's primary to the future of the local church, it is the elders watching over the doctrine of that church. The teaching, the way in which it sees the scriptures, the way it teaches them, the way it applies them. This is a a managerial element. We are to know what the church is teaching. We are to understand the emphasis behind it. We are to understand the direction that we're going in doctrinally and why we believe the things that we believe. And every elder is called upon to, to manage. I think I call this, this is like an idea librarian. If you're an elder, you're an idea librarian. There's ideas about all kinds of stuff out there. And you have to be able to tell as an elder, is that a primary idea or a secondary idea? Is that an idea of opinions? It doesn't, it doesn't matter who holds that idea, it's okay. Or is that an idea that, no, we die on that hill right there. We, we never adjust that idea. That idea is too critical. But what, an elder is responsible to be able to know which ones of these things do we kill each other over and which ones do we say, say, hey, you, know, you, know, you and your family, you're free to do that. But the elders are responsible for that. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I'm writing these things to, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. A, a pillar and buttress of truth. Right, so what is the church? The church is this place where this investment of truth has been given to be transferred from generation to generation with clarity and loyalty to what God had in mind. Second Timothy chapter 1 says, follow, Paul said to Timothy, follow the pattern of sound Words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Listen, this, this can become an issue. right? You will hear from the pulpit us bump up against ideas in our culture. And, and, you know, if, if you're new to the church, sometimes, sometimes the loyalty that you bring into a church setting is to that cultural idea. And then you stand in the presence of a pulpit and somebody takes a cannon out and shoots that thing and blows it up and it's in pieces. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. What the heck is wrong with this guy? Uh, well, this is what's wrong with this guy. Right? Titus chapter 1. This is a call for an elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there are ideas in our culture that the elders are responsible to know the Bible well enough and to know the culture well enough to be able to say that contradicts this. And so that when you come in here, you're going to hear messages that have little bits and pieces of it that say that contradicts this. Now if your loyalty is to that you're not going to like the pulpit that morning. But you do see, this is what elders are called to do. We are overseers of a body of information that is to be carefully, carefully presented to God's people. And its borders are to be protected. It is always under attack. It's always some Johnny-come-lately idea, some new approach to God, some way to do life, something that's really going to be good for you that's trying to infringe and eat the edges of this. And so when the elders guard the edges of that, and sometimes we guard it with a big gun and we come out and say things that are really kind of, Whoa, what did he just say? I can't believe he's, I can't believe he feels that way about that. Well, that's because this is a calling for an elder is to protect this body of information. An elder must be apt to teach He must have been given sufficient ability by God to communicate and transfer truth to others at a level adequate to guard and protect and lead the church. This is not true for everyone. i put this in your outline. That's not the level of responsibility for a Sunday school teacher or for a children's ministry leader or for a small group leader. An elder needs to Listen, understand the ideas that uphold the ideas that we talk about in Christian conversations and basic meanings in our church setting. You see that little goofy illustration that I created? That is my Microsoft talent that made that. You and I are doing life, and on a daily basis, we're bumping into beliefs and practices and principles. This is where most of us live our Christian lives. We've got some basic beliefs we got some practices that we do on a regular basis. And we got some principles that drive some of those practices. And we just kind of live at that level. And that's fine for us to do life. But if you're called to be an elder, and I say this for two reasons. One, to remind all of us as elders this is true. But secondly, to, re- to plant this in you, if you think God ever would call you to be an elder. There is, a, there is another set of ideas underneath those common Practices of life kind of things that support these ideas they're, they're based in theology and doctrine and truth that enable you to see that if you pull on that practice incorrectly that goes out of bounds this way well how do you know that because I understand some of these principles and truths in the scriptures that uphold that practice this belief right here you know if you add that to it that violates that belief Some people add all kinds of things to Christianity and they never notice. You can't add that. If you want to get a feel for this, if you want to get a feel for what this feels like, read the book of Galatians and listen to the tone of the Apostle Paul as you read it. Just a little simple thing was happening in Galatia, right? These Jews had a background in Judaism. They wanted to have some loyalty to the circumcision practice and they thought, you know what? Ultimately, this is God's people as in the Jewish nation, God's people. And everybody's coming back to God. They're coming through Christ. And we got no problem with that. We know the Old Testament said he was coming. But we think you got to kind of come the way Moses described you coming. So you got to be circumcised. You got to go through a couple of these little ritual elements. And they serve that up to the people. And the Apostle Paul steps in and throws red flags all over the place. He freaks out. If If you think he was rough on the Corinthians, he is harder on the Galatians. And he blows up their ideas, one after the other. So he, And this is what I mean by ideas that support ideas. When he turns around and says, You have fallen from grace, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. Wait, we're not seeking to be justified by the law. All we're doing is just practicing a little circumcision here. No, Paul says, no, that's what it means to seek to be justified by the law. So you don't understand this idea that upholds these ideas. And you don't understand the nature of grace that you're violating right now. That if you keep doing this you're cut off from Christ. That's pretty severe. So you want to know why sometimes why the pulpit gets really animated and freaks out over things that sometimes we're like, dude, chill out. It's because an elder is supposed to get that if you pull on that belief and you pull it in the wrong direction, it gets out of bounds and it destroys what this is saying. And my job as an elder is to guard what this is saying, whether it's popular or not. And elders are called to do that. Elders are called to oversee people's souls. It's a hugely important dimension. Obey your leaders, Hebrews says, and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account. Elders are soul watchers. They are soul managers. They are doing things to organize, structure, lead, shape the local church so that when it touches your life, it touches your soul in a particular way. And one of the things I hope that this message does is encourage you, you to know how to, how to pray for the elders. Because the church right now, the church world right now is traveling through, in America, some of the most difficult, worst waters that we've ever known in this country. And trying to navigate that as elders, trying to interact with the culture that is changing the way every one of us lives our lives on a daily basis, and trying to guard and care for and keep healthy the souls of people is a sobering, challenging, difficult task today. More so, I mean, I've been a pastor now for 26 years more so than ever. So pray for us in that regard. Because this task is, is given the assignment of keeping watch over souls. And elders are called to do that. They are overseers of souls. And that last little note there. Overseeing the organizational elements of the church. I won't spend time on that. But it just a man's got to have some ability to manage the organization this is an organism it's got a lot of moving parts to it so if god's called somebody to be an elder he's got to be able to traffic in that arena because he gives oversight to all these little bits and pieces uh, and he has to have some understanding of that that last word is the word shepherd it's the word poimen in the greek one who generally cares for flocks in first peter chapter five peter clarifies this word. He says, I exhort the elders, that would be the presbyteros, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, or poimeno, the flock of God that is among you. There is a role that elders play that is typified by what you'd see in in, in how a shepherd cares for his flock. And that involves care, right? There's just a sense of a shepherd understands the well-being of that flock. It involves feeding. So a huge dimension of a shepherd's role is is to teach the flock, to feed them spiritual content. It involves protection. That's one of the primary reasons Paul summoned the elders in Ephesus to himself, was to warn them that conditions were coming that you are going to need to protect The church. Wolves will come in among you. Right? He was using that flock illustration. And those wolves are going to be in the form of ideas and beliefs and practices, and they're coming in. And that's true always in the age of the church. It's true for us today. So an an elder needs to have a sense of leading a flock, that there's dangers on the edge. What are those dangers? That there's direction for that flock, there's seasons. There are moments in which a flock needs to live in the valley here for the next few months. But then all the food's going to dry up in this location come October. And the shepherd needs to know that. And he needs to lead that flock into other pasture's. I mean, think that's what we seek to do as we lead people through study of the word in particular ways at particular times and moments. We're seeking to feed in the pastures that God has called us to feed in. But that's, These are the three functions, if you will, the roles of an elder. And look, look in Acts chapter 20 there. It's going to ball these words together. This is the interchangeability of these words. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the presbyteros of the church. To come to him. And later he said. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you. Episcopos. Overseers. To care. Which is the word shepherd. Poimeno. The church of God. Which he obtained with his own blood. If God has called a man to serve. In this capacity. And there are many Godly, servant-oriented men who have a tremendous impact on the life of the church. Which, you know, by the way, the elder is not the only person functioning in the body of Christ, is he? I can tell you right now, this church is in many ways what it is because of people who serve in other capacities in this church. But today we just happen to be talking about elders. Elders. But if God has called someone to be an elder, I drew this goofy triangle because it just makes sense to me and I'm trying to use my engineering degree where I can. Um, these three elements need to sit inside of a man called to serve as an elder. But I think it's fair to say they're not going to all sit exactly at the same level. So you could have somebody who, whose teaching components, his care through feeding the flock might be much weightier in his life than his organizational skills, his ability to see the moving parts of the church. So this is where plurality becomes a pretty important aspect, that a variety of men with different strengths and gifts are called to serve the church, the plurality of elders who lead a local church, because not everybody's going to function in these categories in exactly the same way. Some may have other strengths that they bring into this. But I would say this, if you've sensed God may be calling you to, to be an elder at some point in your life, these three dimensions should be observable, recognizable, and something God has given grace for them to function in your life so that you might serve the church in these three ways. All right, let me move us towards ordaining Evan. Evan. Um, you guys will know that we are, we are part of a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches. And so what, part of what we do when we say we're, we're ordaining an elder is, is consistent with what we call our seven shared values in Sovereign Grace Churches. This is, this is why we choose to relate together with the family of churches that we're a part of is because we're like-minded in these seven categories which are very influential in the church. And so that fifth one there that you see is, uh, we believe that churches are to be elder-governed and elder-led churches, right? So i me tell you what this means and what it doesn't mean. Um, it, it means in moments like these, those who have the authority to make this decision are the elders of the church. And so... Uh, Evan is being presented to you today because the local team of elders have come into agreement and we feel like we're observing a man that the Holy Spirit has set apart for this role. We have carefully observed his qualifications, which oftentimes involves the church's involvement. We have seen the fruit that has been borne out as a result of gifting that is present. So in any typical local church setting, And this is true for how we do this in Sovereign Grace. Um, There is an, an individual who God begins to use and function with these giftings and these abilities. Who's living a life that is consistent with the qualifications of scripture. And they begin to bring this influence, this elder influence into the church. And either the elders are close enough to that individual to see that. Or are people in the church see that. And when people in the church see it, they bring it to the leader's attention. They bring it to elder's attention. Say, hey, I don't know if you notice this fellow. And he's really a blessing and a benefit. And God really uses him this way and that way. And so the church has input into this process. If we were here today seeking to appoint a man that just every other person says, well, don't see it, uh, don't see it. Uh, I've known the guy for years. I don't know what you guys are talking about. All right, that would, in our humanity, with the recognition that there are moments where Paul and Barnabas don't see this the same way, that would make us pause and say, I'm not sure this is what we ought to be doing. All right, so the the, the church doesn't play a voting role. We're not asking you to vote today, but you certainly play an influential role. You inform the eldership team as to what we feel led by the Holy Spirit. You confirm that sense of direction by giving us feedback and input, which you, which you have been uh, through the years. You have been giving us feedback and input of the impact of the ministry that God has given him uh, through Evan. Then what we do with Sovereign Grace is we invite in an extra local presence into this process with us. Now that extra local presence doesn't have authority, right? They can't come in and tell you you can or cannot appoint Evan as an elder, But as a region of churches, uh, each church agrees to invite the influence of the regional leader, which happens to be me in this case, uh, and other regional assembly of elders into this process. So there's a group of men who, who form our ordination committee, and they walk with any elders in any local church, they walk with that person to examine their life, to examine their understanding of doctrine, actually ask them, to uh, they're required to pass a number of tests and to write a number of papers to evaluate their strength of doctrine and understanding. And once the region says, hey, you know, we we are in agreement with you guys. We think you've identified a solid man and we are behind you in ordaining uh, that person as an elder. Uh, So that's the outside influence that we bring to us in this day. But before I bring Evan up here and I bring the elders up here for us to, to pray for him, I said I wanted to answer the question, why, why does this matter? Why does it matter that we do this? Because he could be sitting here today saying, boy, there's a lot more pressing issues in your life, isn't there? I don't know. Is there? Is there something more important than the functioning of the local church to fulfill the Great Commission? And the local church functions out of its leadership. And that first layer of leadership is the elders. John Piper says this about that little visit that Paul made to Ephesus. He says, this helps us put Paul's words here in the right light. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost and he's cutting it close. He's in a boat well out to sea, seems to be in charge of the itinerary. And he orders a captain to navigate into the Miletus Harbor sends a messenger over the 20-some miles back up to Ephesus and waits for the elders of the church so that he can say to them what we read in Acts 20. The fact that Paul would go to this much trouble to give this message to the elders of the church personally and the fact that Luke would pause in his story and record the words for us make them very wonderful words to me. I'm deeply moved by this speech. They show us so much of Paul's heart as well as his theology and his view of leadership. Now, why were these words so important? Our answer is that the future of the Ephesian church hangs on how its elders serve the Lord. And that's what Paul talks about here. No doubt, Paul would have loved to see the whole church in Ephesus. But his strength and schedule dictated that he limit himself to the one thing that was indispensable, talking to the church elders. This is a critical matter. Churches are shaped and influenced by those who serve as elders. And so what we do today, we do not do casually. Uh, We do not do without a great deal of prayer and pause and evaluation and seeking as best we can to be led by the Holy Spirit to commend this man to you as an elder. So can I get Evan and Rebecca and the elders to join me up here on the platform? Peter, can you carry all my paraphernalia with you there in that seat? There's some stuff that needs to make its way up here at some point. I did say I was going to answer who is Evan May. But uniquely, his mom and dad are here, John and Tammy. And they're not just here visiting today. They were here long before he was here. (laughs) Uh, They have been a part of our lives for many, many years. And so we had the unique privilege of watching Evan be born and come to be a part of the church. But um, let, let me just paid the first thanks to John and Tammy, to, uh, to your life that you have lived for the glory of God that I think has affected many, many people. It's obviously affected your children. And in, a, in an interesting way, you know, walking with these guys through so many seasons, they have walked together with us through so many seasons of this church's life through doctrinal adjustments and uh, new sets of leaders and being adopted by sovereign grace and going through hurricanes and just all kinds of settings that they have served in any capacity that they have needed to serve or have been asked to serve. They have set an example for their son uh, as those who this church significantly sits in their lives. And I think that influence helped it to significantly sit in his life. And so we are eternally grateful for your prayers, your leadership, and uh, you know, Tammy would be one of the people that I know as a pastor, I am benefiting from the burden she carries for me and for this church. So I am very mindful that when I'm in the midst of storms are blowing, uh, and I know people are praying for me, I know this lady has been praying for me for years and years, and in a strange way, your prayers for this church and for its leadership turned one of your kids into one of its leaders. So be careful what you pray for. Out there. Um, heaven, interestingly, is the product, and I'd hope to get some funny pictures of this. I wasn't able to pull it together. But uh, he's been through every ministry in the church. I think he's the only elder who can say that, right? He, he was in nursery. Uh, he was in <laughs> children's church. He was in Royal Rangers. Uh, he was in youth. He's been in pivot. Uh, he, I mean, he's been in every aspect of the church's life. And not yet? Seniors uh, ministry. He hasn't been in the seniors <laughs> ministry. Thank you, Steve. That's true. <laughs> I stand corrected, and, and it will be a while before he's in that one. Um, But uh, this is his lovely wife Rebecca. You guys get to see him often, but this is his wife Rebecca holding the newest little May, Mister Leo, and uh, somewhere back there is Knox and Piper, who are in the children's ministry area. Um, Just by way of letting you know, this this man is not a stranger to us. Obviously. Uh, he, uh, and he's been serving with us for a long time. In 2006, he started serving the staff and the, the church on a part-time basis. And then in 2011, uh, we hired him full-time to, to be a part of the church. And uh, so by God's grace, I, I thank God for this. We have had a rich history of the Lord raising up individuals from our setting who have, we have known them for many, many years, um, so if you're wondering whether there's any skeletons in his closet, you know, we helped him build the closets, and so I think we probably have access to the skeletons as well, um, and what a, what a great blessing, this is a unique privilege and a unique joy, so here's what I want to do, I want to, I want to charge Evan, and, uh, and I want to charge the church as well, um, before we pray for him and install him. But I think I wanted any of the elders to say whatever they felt led to say before I do that. Yeah, you would need that microphone right there to do that before we do this.
1: I suppose I have my own charge, but that's not unusual. I've written it down. It will be short so you can relax. This for me, because of who this man is to me and who this man is to you, is for me an extremely exciting and wonderful day. I've been waiting for it. We've been talking about it. We've been moving forward toward it. You know how sometimes it feels, you'll never get there. This is a great day, brother. Mm -hmm. So let me just read this. Evan, this morning the Lord has laid upon you and is laying upon you the mantle of the ministry of elder. As God's elder, you are now being endowed with the most precious and valuable responsibility to help lead and care for the flock of God. That flock for which the Lord Jesus is paid by his own precious blood. I believe the Lord which has gave me a few admonitions to share with you this morning, and I'll just read through them, won't elaborate. The first admonition comes from Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Second admonition comes from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In all humility, and gentleness, Patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of love. Ephesians 6:10 through11: "Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the schemes of the devil. 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no one despise or put you down because of your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Second Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. With great patience and instruction. And in summary, love God by loving the flock of God for the glory of God. And Keith has already quoted this and I thought I would pick it up at the end. John twenty one, sixteen, Jesus' word to Simon. Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Then shepherd my sheep.
0: this way so that i can see you evan do you believe the holy spirit has called you and set you apart to shepherd lakeview christian center as an elder i do Evan. based on first peter 5 acts chapter 20 is it your intention to shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being exam- an example to the flock and to pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Is it your intention?
1: Yes.
0: Heaven, in accord with Second Timothy chapter 4, I and the other elders charge you in the presence of God of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The Bible doesn't just call on Evan to embrace this charge. It calls on the church as well. And so let me ask you guys to posture yourselves to receive this ministry. So today this is a question that each of us asks of our own hearts and it does so according to Hebrews chapter 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5. So I ask us as a church, is it our intention to remember your leaders, and those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith? Is it your intention to obey your leaders and submit to them They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And to pray for heaven as well as the elders. Is it it your intention today? Amen. Amen. Well, the Bible calls on us to do something that has another layer of mystery in it calls on us to lay hands on those whom are being appointed, and, and that is both a physical recognition of who it is that we're actually appointing today, but we also believe there's a spiritual dimension where God imparts anointing and power in those moments for future ability to serve, and so we're going to lay our hands on Evan today, and we're going to pray for him, and we're also going to pray for Rebecca, and ask for God to give us his anointed man to serve us in the church. Can you stand up together with us as we do that? Lord, we look in your word, we find story after story, moment of history after moment of history. And the players in those moments, they are not there by accident. We never find you on a day feeling like, well, I guess I'll just use that guy named Moses, got nobody else. Lord, I think it's true that the sovereign God of the universe arranges for our lives to arrive on the right day, in the right place, at the right moment so, Lord, what a special moment this is to realize that, that the script you have written for Evan's life, the place that you have desired and, and chosen for him to be, the particular wiring that you have given him, the shaping influences and people and setting that, that has been afforded to him, Lord, these have been tools in the master's hand to craft him into the man that you've called him to be. And Lord, today we recognize what we believe the Holy Spirit has done, called him to serve this church as an elder. And so Father, we, we embrace that, Lord, as a team of elders, Lord, we agree together that this is your doing, and we receive that from you as a gift and a blessing, Lord, we as a church, we agree together, Lord, this is your doing, and we receive what you're doing today, God, we We install in our hearts, in our affections and in our thoughts, the authority of this man to influence us spiritually and to lead us and shape us, to call us to account, to bring us in contact with the word of God, to live our lives in a manner that brings glory to you. God, we give space for him to do that in our lives today. And Father, we pray, we pray your anointing upon this man. Lord, we look in your scripture and we don't see everybody functioning exactly the same way. Lord, by your doing, you have apportioned to each one gifts of the Spirit individually as you will. And Lord, you reminded Timothy of that. You spoke about the day that you received gifts as we laid hands on you. So Lord, we, we know this is a moment of impartation as well as a moment of recognition. And so God, we ask for your impartation. God, we ask for the unpredictable empowerment that comes like in the day of Pentecost where suddenly there came and there was a new day and there were new things that you did. And and people spent some time catching up and identifying. This is what... God spoke up through Joel. God, we, we want you to do through Evan in his life, into our lives, into this church, what Holy Spirit you choose to do in our midst, to anoint and appoint him in unique ways, to lead and fashion and shape and be a voice in a particular way that we might hear you and know you and experience you in days ahead, in years to come, or perhaps children and grandchildren will receive from this man in this place as a gift. And Father, we know, Lord, your calling in his life is uniquely tied to Rebecca. Uh, Lord, when you looked at this date and time, you weren't surprised. And so, Lord, when you said, I will make a helper suitable for you, Lord, you knew this day was coming. And you formed and fashioned Rebecca. And you made her uniquely who she is. And you gave her personality and traits and influence. You gave her strengths and you gave her weaknesses. God, you gave her things that she'd be comfortable with. And you gave her things that she'd be really uncomfortable with. And God, you have wired all those things together. And you have given this helper to this man. And so, Lord, in the same way that there was great joy and adventure in your heart, when you set Adam and Eve in the garden, you said, go tend. God, we we set this couple in our midst. God, you send them to tend, to care for the flock. And so, Lord, in many ways, as Evan gives himself to serving many, Lord, would you invigorate and strengthen and give grace to Rebecca to above all things to serve this one. And Lord, to serve beyond this one into her own children. And then Lord, as you give grace to her to serve beyond that into the family of God here. But God, we particularly pray, Lord, give her the unique perspective that an elder needs to come from his wife, his helper. Give grace to her. Give grace to this couple. And God, today we receive that grace as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a a gift from Sovereign Grace. It's autographed by Mark Prater. It's a collector's edition. Uh, (laughs) Hold on to that. This is something that some of us had something like this that Katrina washed away and we've never replaced, I don't think. But this is an ordination certificate from... Uh, us as elders as well as from Sovereign Grace and so it's cool and you get to locate this on your wall and these lovely flowers are our way of appreciating your dear wife who has her hands full give another flower can you hold that buddy you got all that are we taking pictures anybody taking a picture where's the administrator is anybody taking a picture Pete Angel, did you already take care of that can we pose for this picture it's not a selfie I don't even know how to do that alright so ladies and gentlemen this is Evan May and his
1: wife Rebecca thank you guys so very very much